And thank you all for worshiping. Thank you for giving to our church. And I hope you have a Bible. And if you do, we'll be turning to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. And later on in our message, we'll turn over to Acts chapter 4. If you'd like to put a bookmark there, not too hard to find uh, in proximity to Matthew. So you uh, probably easy to turn to later. But if you want to put a bookmark there, we'll turn there at the end of our time together. Matthew 6 is where we'll get started in just uh, just a few minutes. Uh, now, if you're with us last week, um, you this first five minutes will be kind of a recap. But if you weren't, just to kind of make sure we're all on the same page, we opened up talking about how unpredictable life is and just the world is around us. Now, I want to close the loop on that talking point. Um, I bet if we went around the room uh, this morning, none of us would say that life went exactly as we planned or as we predicted over the last week and, and probably even over a 24-hour time period. Um, none of us would say, hey, everything went exactly as we planned it. Now, it doesn't have to mean that something earth-shattering took place in, in that uh, time period or over the last few days. Uh, it could have been something as mild as you went through a drive through and you ordered one thing and they gave you another thing, which that's kind of predictable at this point, right? It doesn't make you feel good when you go through and you think you're about to take a sip of the drink you ordered and it's something completely different. It really uh, has, a, has a way of getting the day started on the, wrong, on the wrong foot. But there's a lot of worse problems in the world, right? Um, in all seriousness, mostly, uh, most of us probably face some measure of unpredictability uh, that was a little heavier than, you know, I ordered a Diet Coke and they gave me something else. Uh, but, but the good news is, the, the good news is, as we concluded last week, and as we are reminded every week in our gatherings, um, as unpredictable as our world is, we can be encouraged no matter what, uh, because ultimately, our world's unpredictability does not lessen God's reliability, I hope that that's something that we, we have anchored our faith in today. Our world's unpredictability, our world's volatility does not lessen our God's reliability. Our uncertain world rests in God's sovereign hands. That's good news, isn't it? Now, what seems disconnected and chaotic, and there's a whole lot that seems to be, uh, you know, unraveling and, 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 and crazy. What seems disconnected and seems and seem chaotic to us is actually under control and thoroughly planned out. We just don't always see behind the curtain. So we concluded, if our world is resting in God's hands, then we can trust in his plans. Sounds pretty good. Sounds logical, right? If our world is in God's hands, we can trust in his plans. If he is with us no matter what, we can trust him no matter what. So when you think about how life is so unpredictable, be reminded, God is totally reliable. I will let you down. Your neighbor will let you down. Your family might, might not always be there in the way that you would love them to be or want them to be. Where Life is unpredictable. People are unreliable, but God is reliable. God is in control. With God, unpredictable meets reliable. Our uncertainty meets our trustworthy God. Now, that's a pretty good sermon. I'd love to hear about 25, 30 minutes of that. You can go back if you'd like to. Uh, okay, so I, I want to talk about another reality, another fact of life, something that we all just sort of accept and we all just sort of deal with, um, that it, it's not like unpredictability in that we can't really change it, um, but we have kind of 
begin to believe that we can't change this, even, even if it is a little bit more in our control. Um, we are all well-versed in this, and we're pretty used to it, and I think a lot of us, most of us, are resigned to this. And that is with regard to how busy life is. And I wanted, to make it, I wanted to make it fill the whole screen, but I thought that would make us feel uncomfortable, and being busy already makes us uncomfortable, so I didn't want to put you over the edge this morning. But busy is something we are all well aware of, of right? Life is busy. You can pretty much count on two things, that life is unpredictable, and life is very busy. Now, I don't think there's a season that reminds us of how busy we are and how little time there is to spare more than the one that we have just entered into. And I know summertime is busy, but at least it feels like in summer, time is easier to stretch and, and make last. But from November to February, um, you, you feel like beginning at five o'clock, the day is just taunting you that there's not much left to it, right? Uh, and, and yeah, you can do whatever you want to do indoors, but still it just feels more compressed and things just feel like there's less time. So uh, on top of the fact that starting next week, most of us um, are going to be adding to our normal obligations with holiday stuff through the end of the year. So for the next six weeks, it's just going to be busy times two or, or busy, you know, exponentially multiplied. So I think it's universally agreed upon that life in the year 2022, I don't know what life was like before 1990. I remember back to the 90, 93, 94, but I don't know what life was like back before the 90s. So maybe it was less busy. Maybe it was just as busy, but just relative to me and my world. Uh, and of course, as you get older, um, I think we'd agree that uh, life in 2022 feels busier than ever at least for people in our part of the world living life in our similar scenarios. So whether we are busier or not, it's relative. I think we all feel busier. We all feel busier. Uh, and I've been thinking about this, and I really think you'll agree with me on this. And, and maybe, you, maybe, maybe I'll have to convince you a little bit, but I think we'll all kind of, we all probably believe this. Um, the one thing that has made life seem more busy than ever, whether it's busier or not, the one thing that has made life seem and feel busier than ever, if you ask me, is that we are now in constant communication with everyone everywhere. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing to you, right? Nothing wrong with communicating, but we are always connected and communicating with each other. And again, I'm not saying that it's bad to be so connected, but, but I'm saying that there was a time not too long ago when it was possible, uh, it wasn't possible to be as engaged with so many people at the same time. Uh, over the last 100, 150 years, the one invention that has exponentially raised productivity and efficiency has been the innovations surrounding telecommunication. Uh, and, and as telephones went from being wired to a wall to being glued to our hands, right? Uh, nobody glued, nobody made that happen. We, we made that happen. Uh, but, but as telephones went from being a, a place in our homes to being everywhere we go, uh, we can always be reached and we can always be in conversation with whoever, whenever. And I think about our lives right now, and I think if, if you think about life right now, maybe it doesn't apply to you, but I guarantee you it does to your, to your kids or your grandkids. Uh, we're, we're, we're never just busy with one thing at one time anymore. We're always talking to other people who are doing their thing. We're reviewing something that happened earlier in the day. We're planning something that's going to happen uh, another day, uh, whether it's family or work or just recreation. Uh, we're talking to people from home when we're at work. We're talking to people about our weekend activities when we're trying to eat dinner 
partner with our families. Uh, we're answering questions about work on our days off, right? Am I making you feel more tense than you already do, right? Because that's just life, isn't it? That we, we, we're never just busy with one thing. We're busy with everything at the same time. You might clock out at five, but that doesn't mean you can't be reached, right? And even if you turn something off, they'll find a way to, to get to where they need to get, right? And, and again, we're always talking about something somewhere, even if it's not pertaining to what we're doing at the moment. Uh, we're, we're no longer, and in, in at work and in, in, in life, you no longer just get a task to do and report back a day later or the next day. No, you're getting constant updates and your schedules are adjusting multiple times throughout the day. And, and, and again, that's the, the, the benefit of being so connected, but it's also the curse of being so connected, isn't it? And that's just considering our phones or being on the phone. Uh, but think about the other ways that we are tethered to each other. From emails to text messaging, social media, we are talking whether our voices or words, I'd say we're connected 18 hours a day. And again, maybe not constantly, but whether talking on the phone or texting or answering emails or doing social media, we are connected for more than we may realize and the more engaged we are in communication, the busier we are and the busier we get. And I think that, that there's such a thing as good busy and there's such a thing as bad busy. And I think the common denominator across all kinds of busy in our world today is it all stems from and it's all fueled by communication. So this leads me to where I'm sure will be a convicting part of our conversation today, but I think it's a necessary conviction that we need to deal with. Uh, so we all complain all the time that life is just busier than ever. And there's no time for anything else, even though we still stuff more and more into our days. Uh, but if someone were to say to us on any even day, if someone were to come to you and say, hey, I've got I've to take your phone from you or I've got to take that, connect, that communication device from you and you can't check your inbox or your messages or your social all day long, our initial reaction to be, as much as relieved we may be, but there's that part of us that says, hey, I've got to get this stuff done, right? And we might joke and say, yeah, take it away. I don't want to deal with it. But there's that part of us that's so wired and so connected and so I've got to do this. I've got to go there. I've got to be there. If we lost that sense of communication, we would say, whoa, 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 I've got to have that. that, that you don't understand. My life is so dependent on that form of communication I gotta be able to stay in touch with my family or my boss or my coworkers or my team. I've got to stay in touch. That's how life works. We would say, whether we would like to or not, life as we know it requires that kind of engagement. We stay so busy because we're so connected. And we stay connected because our busy lives demand it. So it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Well, the reason why I'm so busy is because I'm always having to do this and that, and they're always asking, they're always more and more to do. But the reason why I'm so connected is because I've got, a, I've got so much to do, right? It's just kind of like it just continues to feed itself. I mean, we've got to stay in touch to keep everything moving at work, at home, and we've got to be able to check on people, and, and we don't want to just completely ghost other people and be, be off the grid. But, but let me bring, this back, bring us back to reality, the reality that we established earlier. Okay, so, so there's a God. There's a God of the universe who holds all things in his hands. He is the Lord. We use that word so casually. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. 
God is in control of our world. He holds our world in his hands, not because he has to, but because he wants to, right? God set the world in motion to operate completely on its own. You can read physics books and biology books and chemistry books. The world was set in motion and it's good to go. Yet he chooses to be hands-on because he loves the people that live on the planet. He doesn't love the world for the sake of the cool things that we admire about the world. He loves the world because we are here. And you could argue that we're the most problematic part of it. And the reason why God so loves it and is so hands-on with it is because he loves us. Okay, so, so God, who controls it all, keeps it all, rules over it all, loves us and wants to know us and make it more personal he loves you and he wants to know you and he's and he's involved in it all because he loves you he's omnipresent so he can handle everybody all at once he loves you and that's why he's so involved in all this and he's made a way for you to know him His way, of course, he sent Jesus 2,000 years ago to make known to us all what the Old Testament stories just preview that he is, that he loves us and that he wants to be with us and that he can be and we can know him in that personal way. He sent his son Jesus to make himself known so that we might know him. John 1.18 says this, that no one has ever seen God, the only God. And you say, whoa, whoa, Justin, people saw God in the Old Testament. You know what this verse tells me? They just got a glimpse. And man, their glimpses were pretty big, right? Their glimpses were pretty awesome. Have you read the stories, the miracles, and the, and the supernatural encounters? But John says, whoa, 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 that's just a preview. Y'all haven't known God like I've known God because the only true and full manifestation of God is Jesus. You mean that was just a preview in the Old Testament when he knocked the walls down and crossed the water and and did all those amazing things? Yeah, that's just a little bit of it. That the full revelation of God is the Son who came from the side of the Father. He has made him known. That means there's no discrepancy. There's no gray area. There's no, hey, I don't, what about that? It's all been revealed in Jesus. So that we would know and have certainty of his presence and that we would be in a relationship. So why did God come as one of us? Because he wanted to know us. He didn't, he didn't just want us to ooh and awe at a miracle. He wanted us to be side by side, one on one with him. When you see the word know in the Bible, it's an intimate word. It means to, be, to make, be made one with another. It means to be engaged with another in a relationship. And God sent Jesus to make known to us that he wants to know us. And this is how Jesus defines salvation. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He, he's praying for you and me when he, when, he, when he says this, that eternal life, salvation, is knowing God in that kind of relationship. So having been made aware of all that, whether it's something you've just found out about or whether you've known this for a long time, I I think we all can answer this question. How much do you communicate with God? Now, you might, this might be a silly question to some of you. This might be really abstract for some of you, but I'm asking you a serious question. How much do you communicate with God? 
and, and, and by, by that I mean how engaged are you through worship, as in how much are you giving God not just part of your attention, not just your multitasking attention, how engaged are you with God, whether it's worship, reading his word, and most importantly through prayer, which is one-on-one talking and conversing with God. How much do you communicate with God? Now, I know how engaged you are with your family and your boss and your coworkers and your friends and your team members. I know you have to stay connected with all those people in order to manage life and, and to do life as you need to do it. I get it. Life is busy. But come on. This is God we're talking about. I know I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to make this bigger than, you know, make this as big as I can. But whether I'm saying it or not, this is what the Bible says to us. And this is what God is saying to us. The God of the universe, the God of the universe wants to know you and have a relationship with you. How close are you to him? And again, I'm, nobody's your judge. I'm not your judge. Nobody can judge. You, you define closeness. You define, now, now if I were to ask you, hey, how close are you and your spouse? How close are you and your family? How close are you and your coworkers? You could define that, couldn't you? Well, I'm not that, you know, we say all the time, I'm not that close to them anymore. I'm, I'm really close. We've gotten closer. So people, people say, well, I don't know if you can define how close I am with God. Hey, hey, we define how close we are with everybody. So let's not play that game. You know how close you are to God. And again, this isn't me, try, me trying to be holier than thou and say there's a measuring stick. This is just reality. You're close to some. You're not close to others. How close are you? If this is a relationship and we're defining this by relationship standards, how close are you to God? How much time do you make for him? Now, okay, but Justin, that, that's the point. I'm just too busy. And, and God understands. God understands. And, and, and my response is, are you trying to convince me or, or you or God or who? Whether God understands or not, that's not the point. Do you understand what's on the line here? And let me make this very clear. This is not a threat. I'm not, I mean, I have no power over you. God is not threatening you with this. Remember, God loves you. God wants to know you. So God isn't saying, hey, you better or else. No, this is God saying, I want to know you, right? I love you. So the question is, the question is, and again, we defend it, we get defensive because we just feel convicted, I think. Are you prioritizing your relationship with God? Now, when Jesus came to make God known, one of the first things he taught about publicly was prayer. And he wanted to make clear that this wasn't some formality that God is in heaven tapping his foot, making sure that we check this off our list and go through these motions in order to stay on good terms with him. Jesus came to give us a right standing with God. That's not something we earn or work for or do we maintain through a series of do's or don'ts. Salvation is a gift. God with us is a gift provided by Jesus. It's not something we have to pray enough for or do enough for. No, that's a gift to you. You receive it by faith. It's free. Jesus has given it to you. Which again makes it all the more important. Why wouldn't I be close to him? But that's a whole other thing we'll get to. Salvation's a gift through his own blood. We have been brought into, and that's the supernatural part of it, brought into. We didn't go there on our own. Jesus came and got us and brought us to God. You know, right? When we, had our, when we had Andy, we brought her home, right? Because she couldn't get home on her own, right? That wasn't going to work out. She came with us. That's what salvation is. Ephesians 2.13 says that Jesus Christ, who uh, now, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near to God. 
Again, you know how you bring something near? You pick it up and carry it. How did you get near to God? Jesus picked you up and carried you. Again, you didn't walk there. You didn't work there. You didn't, you didn't serve there to get there. No, he brought you there. He brought you here. Supernatural generosity, kindness of God. So whether this is new or not, or something you've ignored or downplayed, today I hope the Holy Spirit would stir something in us if we're saved, if we have a relationship with the Almighty God who says, call me Father. I want to ask you that question again, and I hope the Spirit of God's working in all of us. Are you prioritizing and pursuing this relationship? Are you engaged with God through a healthy, consistent prayer life? Jesus stressed how vital it was through, that we have an authentic, thriving relationship with God. And like any relationship, come on, communication is key. You know that. You say that to your spouse all the time. You say that to your kids all the time. Hey, we got to talk. We got to talk to make this work. Yeah, communication is key. Jesus knew and Jesus knows how busy we are. He knows and he knew how busy his hearers were. He knows how busy we are. He doesn't think that's a good excuse though. So I want you to listen to how Jesus introduced the topic of prayer in Matthew, five and, Matthew five, or 6, verse 5 and 6. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. So that tells us right off the bat there's a wrong way to pray or a wrong attitude to have about prayer that a lot of people have. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So he's saying, hey, a lot of people just do this as a formality in a church or in a temple or in some special building or on some special platform. But he says they're not really, they don't really know what it means to pray because they're just doing it to be seen. They're just talking to air. He says, no, when you pray, go into your room or, or literally go into your closet or go into your pantry, go into the most secluded room in your house is the point where there's nobody watching you, nobody going to be there with you. Go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, why does Jesus tell us to go into a room and shut the door? Now, I want to make this very clear. Plenty of people prayed prayers in the Bible, and they weren't in closed rooms, and they weren't shut off from the world. But Jesus is saying this because, hey, I know how busy you are. I know the excuses you use. So let's take those excuses away. Well, I got to make some adjustments. Of course you do. But when you pray, I want you to get away from everybody. I want you to get on your own with God, with nobody else. Well, that's going to require me making some time. Of course it is. Right? That's the point. It's like when somebody, you know, your spouse or somebody says, hey, hey, we need to talk. Hey, I'm busy. Oh, yeah, you need to not be busy. Right? You know how that goes. Because you can't do it when you're busy. So when Jesus says this, he's saying, hey, you need to unplug, disconnect, get all the other stuff on pause. Well, I don't know if I can do that. He said, you better figure out how to do that. And I get it. God's, it feels like God's not there. So you're more, you're more stressed about the things that you see and the people that are calling and the things that are prioritized on your calendar. You're more stressed about those things because they're breathing down your neck. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know that you can't see God, but listen, listen. The reward he's got for you you're never going to see that either. It's, it's something that he gives you through the Spirit. So if you're waiting on all this to become urgent and pressing and visible, you'll never even ever prioritize it. So I, I like that he acknowledges that, right? He acknowledges that, hey, we've got to make that decision that, hey, this is important to me. Because a relationship with God cannot be done 
with 15 other things in our hands at the same time. We can't juggle all that at once. Now, if you're going to truly and purposely engage with God, you've got to be detached from everything else. That's why Psalm 46 says, be still, be still, and know. As in, you won't know unless you are being still. You won't know unless you disconnect. You won't know unless you make it your priority. Well, I know, yeah, you don't know it like you can know it. Like It's the difference in cramming for a test and forgetting it all once you f- turn it in and being able to rec- re- recite it 10 years later. Right? Y'all know that. How many tests how many tests in high school or in college did you prepare did you learn so well the material that you still know it? Very few, right? You learned it and you got rid of it, but for a lot of us, there's some information that we internalize and we never forget it because we know it. Because we got still and we studied it, right? And we made it something personal. Now, sometimes attaching ourselves and pursuing God feels abrupt and it feels difficult. Do you know how? Do you know how God hardwired this into the children of Israel's lives? Remember when he brought them out of Egypt? They were being chased by Pharaoh's army. They were arguing with each other, with Moses. They were wondering if it was all going to work out. Remember how he brought them to a massive, daunting, jaw-dropping, dead end? Remember how it worked? That they're all running out of Egypt, and they're happy, but then they're scared because the Pharaoh's coming. They're all arguing. Moses is worried. And remember what he did? He brought them to a dead end called the Red Sea. And they're panicking. Moses is getting called names. Moses is worried if he's even cut out for this, trying to get the whole entourage to turn around and go back and surrender. And then Moses realizes in a moment what this is all about, that As a free people, they're already forgetting to pursue God who just saved them. And here they are at this dead end, at this obstacle. And he says, y'all, this is a reminder that we can never get so busy and so caught up in life that we forget to call on the Lord. And here we are at this impasse. And what else can we do but call on the Lord for help? And do you remember Moses' words on that moment, in that moment, on that day? Exodus 14, fear not, stand still. And, and literally the, word, the language there is, hey, be still. As not just stand still, but get your mind focused on this one thing. And when you stand still and you clear your mind and you clear your schedule and you unplug and disconnect, then you will begin to see. But you won't see when you're so blurry, with your, your vision's so blurry because you're so busy. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For the Lord will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. And again, not silent as in, hey, I just got to, you know, shh. No, you've got to focus on him, unplug and tune into him. So that's what Jesus means when he says, get into whatever room you got to get into. I mean, under your house, in the woods, wherever you got to go right? Shut the door. And I think he's saying that you can do this. And I mean this, I don't mean this in a, in a harsh way, but I mean this as the Bible would say it. You can do this or you can wait until life brings you up to a Red Sea. Now, either way, we can either give God our attention or he will get our attention. And again, this is not a threat. This is a good promise. And thank God he is so resilient and persistent. You can either give him your attention or thank God because he loves you so much, he will get your attention. He will get our attention. And we know what that's like, don't we? 
We need to be still in the midst of all that's busy, disconnecting all, with all the different things we've got going on. We need to not just put people on hold, but just completely shut it off. And through prayer, focus our minds on God and God alone, that we might see him work in our lives and grow in him. Now next up, Jesus goes on to explain what prayer is not, and then he tells us what prayer is. Look at verse 7. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And, and he's not just saying that they recite formalities. He's saying that they think that the, you got to pray. The more you pray and the more words that you pray and the more things you ask for, that that's some sort of level of holiness or level of faith or level of, 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 superna- or of, of, of spirituality. He says... Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. So apparently the heathens or the Gentiles were bringing their lists, like you're going to sit on Santa's lap, and they were just listing stuff off to God because they thought that the gods were like slot machines. The more you put in, the more you might get out. And he says, hey, hey, this isn't like rubbing a lamp and offering up as many wishes as you can and then wishing for more wishes. I'm not saying this, and Jesus is not saying this because God does not care for us or because God doesn't want to be good to us. He has went above and beyond to be good to us. He makes it clear we're praying to our Heavenly Father who intends on being good to us whether we ask or not. He knows what we need. That's not what the verse says. He knows what you need, and he intends on moving heaven and earth in order to give you whatever you need. Listen, this is important, and I think a lot of us need to hear If we're trusting in him, all that's already taken care of. Jesus says, hey, prayer is not about trying to get all you can from God. If you're trusting in him, that's already taken care of. You don't got to ask for it. Trust him. People say, oh, you don't reason you don't have it because you didn't ask for it. No, 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 listen, don't, don't play that game. God is trustworthy. We've already established that. Getting what you need from God isn't a prayer issue. It's a matter of trust. Prayer is something else entirely. And laser focus on this for me, and we're, we'll wrap up. Trusting God ensures us that God will be with us. Praying to God, on the other hand, ensures God that we will be with him. You see the difference? See, we, a lot of people think, well, prayer is about making sure that I'm just, I got to make sure I ask God and I got to make sure I'm, you know, clicking my heels together and saying the magic words. But listen, that's not faith. That's superstition. That's religion. That's, that's witchcraft. That's not prayer. That's not Christianity. And there are a lot of people that wear these and tell you that's what it is, but that's not. Jesus just said it wasn't. Prayer is about ensuring God that you want to be with him and where he is and you want to go where he's going. Do you see that? Prayer is not about asking God to do for us. Prayer is about aligning our lives so that we might live for him. And we're going to unpack verses 9 and 10. And I want to go ahead and give you three words that tell us what prayer is about and that Jesus is going to flesh out in two powerful verses. Three words. Stare, aware, and prepare. So how does he tell us to start our prayers out? And this is a template. For in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father who is in heaven. The first lesson of prayer. Hallowed be your name. 
take time to stare up into the heavens and think about the reality of who God is and where God is that you get to know him and you get to walk with him and talk with him. I mean, wow, that shouldn't be something we just shrug our shoulders about and and say, well, I got to go back to real life. This is our new and much more realized version of life. Stare as long as you have to, as long as you can. Make time to stare into heaven. I don't just mean physically look, look at the stars, all right? I mean, y'all, y'all, y'all understand me. I mean worship and study and fill your heart with truth about God and how you fit into his greater reality. Listen, there are all kinds of structural things that you can implement into your life that help you do this, whether it's morning or evening, out of bed, before bed, anchoring your days in as many things is so essential to help you continue to stare up. That's why Jesus built the church. It's why we gather three times a week and do these things that do what we do a little differently in each session because we believe that we should stare into heaven and we believe on our own we are not going to do it. All people say, I do it on my own. Listen, we, we, we are so easily distracted and we just talked about how busy we are. But it's not just what we do here for an hour a week or two hours a week. It's about continuing that. And Jesus said, hey, I'm not saying go in some holy place with special music and sacred, you know, sacred objects. I mean, go in your closet and shut the door and turn the lights off if you have to. I just mean whatever you got to do to stare up and stare at, into the heart of God, that's what you need to do. Hallowed be your name. And to move on, it's about becoming aware of God's greatness and his intentions to move into our reality and work in our world. What does he say? He says, pray your kingdom come, thy kingdom come. There are a lot of kingdoms at play in this world every day. Vying for power and dominion. Think about it. On a national geopolitical scale, every nation wants to be a kingdom. The powers that be, regardless of what front they put up, every power, every nation, power is a drug and they all want more. America, Russia, China, every kingdom wants to be the greatest. There's a lot of kingdoms at play in this world, aren't there? And that's also, there are also other kingdoms within the nations. Every nation has factions that want to steer the nation and its people in their ideal direction from fiscally to, to socially. In England, there are the laborers and the Tories. In the Middle East, there are the Sunnis and the Shia. In America, there are the Republicans and the Democrats. And then there are kingdoms that don't fight with swords or for votes, but they fight with economic leverage. Corporations and conglomerates, they want power and they want to be the one in charge and the one that gets all of our money, right? They want their products and their brands to be dominating our lives. We could go on and on. There are so many kingdoms fighting for power and fighting for your allegiance and your affection and your time. And this might rub some of us the wrong way, but it needs to. It needs to rub me the wrong way. Jesus says, pray, thy kingdom comes. That means there's only one kingdom that deserves our undying affiliation, and it's the kingdom of our God. He did not come to take sides. He came to take over. Every kingdom, politically, socially, economically, philosophically, every one of them has to fall in order for his kingdom to rise. That's just how it works. 
Prayer is key in keeping that this is the center of our hearts, keeping God on the throne, not some lesser imposter, jester equivalent that wants his seat. And let's be honest, many of our hearts have the wrong king sitting on them. And some of us have multiple kings and queens that have shifts, right? When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are declaring that every kingdom has to fall. Listen, there's a lot of people taking God's name in vain, saying, oh, God's on our side. Listen, God is on heaven's side, and everything below is just a beast trying to put off its inevitable demise. Prayer is pursuing God and staying aware of this. Lastly, prayer prepares us for God to work in our lives. What is, the, what is the, the second line there? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember how Jesus prayed the night of his death? Nevertheless, not mine, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus Christ prayed this prayer. You know what that tells us? That prayer is an act of surrender. It's a means of surrendering our natural resistance. We have a natural resistance to God in his plan. We just do. We must pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because left to ourselves, it will not be on earth as it is in heaven. It'll be the opposite of that. We naturally resist what God wants to do in our lives. But when we surrender through prayer, we are allowing and we are opening our lives up to engage in supernatural participation with God's plans from our attitudes, from our actions, to our activities. From the love that he commands us to have, to the service he commands us to give, to the things that he commands that we involve ourselves with. Prayer's primary purpose is that we might be aware of God's plan and prepare to be part of his plan. Now, I want to swing back to what Jesus said before we introduced this template. He says, don't be like the Gentiles and think prayer is just about asking God for X. He says, your father knows what you need. But then later on, because I know somebody will ask this question, later on in Matthew 7, in Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11, if you want to look, Jesus makes this statement. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Everyone who asks and will, he will seek. Uh, and he, to him who knocks, it will be opened. And he says, what well, man among you? If his son asks for bread, will he, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So many might would say, well, Dustin, doesn't that contradict what you just said prayer is about? I mean, he says, don't worry about asking, but then he dangles this promise of getting what we ask for. Jesus is not contradicting himself. Here's why. Jesus just laid out for us what prayer is all about. It's about we're invited into a relationship with our heavenly father. And he says to you and me, he says to you and he says to me, we can now engage in the work of God's kingdom. So he trusts that having been aware of this and having set our hearts to prepare for this, he trusts that we can handle Matthew 7. He trusts that we can hear the words, ask, seek, and knock, and immediately not think of the wrong things. He trusts you. Hey, he says, hey, I've taught you how to pray. And I'm going to say to y'all, ask, seek, knock for whatever you want, whatever your heart's desire is but if you have been wired the way he says you should be wired, you're gonna ask, seek, and knock accordingly. 
As in, this isn't Jesus saying God's a slot machine, name it and claim it. This isn't Jesus saying if you're suffering, you're not believing enough, or you haven't asked enough like some do. This is Jesus saying, I've invited you to know and follow God who is the ruler of the universe. He's reliable, he's in control, and he wants to know you and you can flourish and thrive and grow through prayer. You are free to ask and seek and pursue whatever you decide is important. He trusts that you will not misunderstand this and you will not abuse this. Now, the reality is we read this and our eyes get wide and a whole lot of snake oil salesmen will make this their entire ministry and people fall for it. But we have heard it laid out as Jesus himself laid it out and we understand. So can we ask for anything? Sure. Can we expect everything we ask for? It all depends on what you ask for and why you ask for it. You hear that? Look back, how did Jesus end the prayer? Flip back to Matthew 6. How did Jesus end the Lord's prayer? He says, he ends it by telling us to proclaim, thine is the kingdom, yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory, and forever and ever and ever and ever. So how does he tell us to end our prayers? God, this is for your glory, for your kingdom, for your name, forever and ever and ever. My name is going to be short-lived, yours is forever and ever. So he tells us that prayer is about asking for whatever brings glory to God, which is automatically going to be for good, good for you and good for me. If our hearts are aware and prepared and we've developed this kind of spiritual maturity, it won't seem to contradict what other verses might say. It makes sense. Now, I want to leave you with a prayer the disciples prayed in Acts when they were being persecuted and threatened. We've read this before, but I think it's appropriate that we conclude hearing how they prayed to God. Flip over, if you will, to Acts 4. They're in the middle of persecution. They've been told to never preach in the name of Jesus again or else they've been beaten. They've been scarred for life. They've been whipped with uh, the same flog that Jesus was beaten with. And it says to us in Acts 4, verse number 23, that they were let go and they went back to the church or back to their home base. And listen to how this goes. Being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard it, they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You are the maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Notice how they lean on that God is reliable. God is sovereign. And they quote an Old Testament psalm that says, the nations rage, the people plot vain things, the kings of the earth take their stand, the rulers gathered together against the Lord, against his servant, against his Christ. And then they recap how they saw this happen in front of their own eyes. How Jesus was, uh, was uh, persecuted by Herod as a baby, Pilate as an adult. The Gentiles and the people of Israel gathered together. And notice how they put a spin on it in verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined. They said, oh, we th that Herod thought he was in control. Pilate thought he was in control. But God, we know you are in control of all of this. Their hands were moving against him, but your hand was underneath all of them. And then listen to their prayer in verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats. I, I, they don't know what to really say because they're so confident in God. They don't even really want to ask him to do anything about it. God, look on their threats. 
but grant to your servants that with all boldness that we may speak or continue to speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Their prayer is God, keep this train rolling. Help us not get distracted by what is under your control. We just want to keep serving you and glorifying you and be vessels that you can work through. Isn't that amazing? I mean, well, we would have prayed, God, keep us safe, keep us safe, keep us safe, keep us safe, take that guy out, take that guy out, get those people out of power. God, protect me, protect me. And I'm not making fun of us. That's what we would pray, right? But what did they pray for? God, just look at their threats and do whatever you want to do, but make us bold for your kingdom. They prayed for God to work in their lives, that the focus would remain on him. They prayed for God to be glorified. And verse 31 says, when they prayed, the place that they were gathered together in was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking the word of God with boldness. This is what prayer is all about. It's about truly engaging with God and participating in his plans that he doesn't need us to be, to be involved in, but he's invited us to be a part of. Now, are there examples in the Bible of people praying for things and getting exactly what they asked for? Yes. There's the man that told Jesus, just speak the words. There's Peter uh, being released from jail because they prayed for him. There's Paul literally raising a man back to life that died in the middle of a church service. Plenty of prayers were answered like that, and plenty will be. But there's also examples of people who ask and didn't get anything. Joseph prayed for 12 years to be released from prison. Daniel prayed 21 days straight, three times a day, and didn't get the answer he was looking for. Paul prayed for three seasons and never received his healing. The point is, in either case, God's will was done. God was glorified, and his people were satisfied. It's like Job proclaimed, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Either blessed be his name. As we've discovered, prayer is much more than just asking for stuff. Prayer is about engaging with God who is in control, who wants to know you and see you participate in his earthly plans. Prayer is about, stay, about staring, being aware, and preparing that we might participate in a supernatural role in the kingdom of God. So the question for you and the question for me is, how serious do you take your relationship with God? How often do you pray? What kinds of prayers do you pray? Why don't you pray if you don't? Prayer is about bringing heaven to earth. You know what Revelation tells us? That in heaven there are vials around the throne of God filled with our prayers. It never says what that means and what those are for or why they're there. It just says that God hears you and he cares about what you pray for. He hears the ones that are in his will. He hears the ones that are not in his will. He hears the one. He has the prayers that he didn't answer, the prayers that he did answer. But listen, your prayers matter to God because they, ma they matter because they're you pursuing him, prioritizing him, sinking your heart, aligning your heart with him because you realize he's the most important relationship you have. God wants to know you. Today can be a day that we all begin pursuing him and praying to him and begin communicating with him. But just like with the Lord's Prayer, I and the church can only lead you to this place. We have to surrender individually and begin taking prayer seriously. And why wouldn't you? God loves you. He took you so seriously, he sent Jesus to a cross to save you. How serious do you take this invitation and this opportunity? How serious will you continue to pursue God through prayer? Let me pray for you.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you take us so seriously and we're so important to you that you wouldn't let a single soul go to hell without us passing through the blood and the cross of Jesus. You have made a way for all of us. When we wouldn't pursue you, you pursued us. And Jesus has made it very clear to us that you care for us and you provide for us. And whether we ask or not, you always already are there for us. Prayer is an opportunity for us to get involved with you and to walk with you and to walk in your will and to be a part of your kingdom, to see you involved in us and to begin to shape and direct us in ways that would be beyond what our flesh would desire. Prayer is about walking in step with you and staying in step with you and realizing you are the way and that your way is the best and we want to stay as close to it as we can. You don't need us to be involved in your earthly plans, but you've invited us to be a part of them. Lord, we want to participate in your kingdom. We want to be partakers in your glorious work. Lord, we've got a lot that we love to ask for and we continue to ask for those things because we believe regardless of what your answer is, you have our best in mind. But we most importantly today ask that you might would sink our hearts with heaven and to bring heaven to earth through our lives. Help us, Lord, to put you first, to seek you first, to prioritize you above everything else that we not ignore the most important relationship we have, the one that influences our homes and our workplaces and everything else. If we wanna be the husbands, the wives, the parents, the bosses, the leaders we've been called to be, it all starts with prayer and it stays with prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.